There's a, wherever there's design, there's a designer. You don't just walk up onto a watch that's ticking in a field and say, oh look, Earth created a watch. No, you automatically assume there's a watchmaker. Welcome to the Light Switch Podcast by Illuminate Student Ministry, a place for the skeptic, the Bible believer, as well as everyone in between. As you know, our world is often in the dark. Our hope is to flip the switch on topics surrounding biblical engagement, apologetic arguments, spiritual formation, and emotional wellness. We want Jesus Christ to illuminate every aspect of your life so that you can shine the light of Christ in every situation. Hey everyone, welcome to the Light Switch Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew, and I'm sitting here with our guest today, Randy. Honestly, I don't even think we can really call you a guest. You're on this thing like... I'm a recurring annoyance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. I show up once in a while. Yeah, I invite myself in. <laughs> hey, you poke your head in the door. Are you guys recording today? <laughs> I'd like to join. Randy, don't you have a job? <laughs> don't, don't tell them where I am. <laughs> Uh, so yes, I'm here with uh, our friend and uh, apologetics uh, extraordinaire, uh, Randy Pister. Uh, for those of you who might be joining us just for this episode, Randy is my good friend. Uh, we've been friends now for probably far too long in his mind. Um, but uh, you have a master's degree in apologetics from Biola University, Talbot School of Theology, correct? Correct. Um, and you are also a lawyer. Uh, you yep. are a skeptic by nature before you came to know Christ. Um, and, uh, what brought you to belief in Christianity? Just briefly for our audience. Very briefly, I was looking at, and really giving a fair hearing at the, the philosophical, the scientific, the historical evidence for the Christian worldview. Yeah. And finding that that best explains the, the major worldview questions. One of which we'll talk about today, questions yeah. like origin, where we come from, meaning, morality, destiny, what happens after we die? Why are we here? What's right and wrong? Yeah. Uh, I found that Christianity and Theism, and as well, um, we'll define some of those terms. Just gives, gives a very comprehensive, powerful explanation for why the world is the way that it is, the way that yeah. it looks. And uh, ultimately, I became one one because I think it's true. And two, I, I did have uh, some great Christians love me into the kingdom as well. It wasn't some sort of like Star Trekian cerebral exercise by any yeah. means. I'm not Doctor Spock, uh, but it's there certainly was an element of yeah skepticism. I still have that. It's part yeah. of my job as an attorney, professional skepticism. But uh, over and over, I found the answers of the the Christian worldview satisfying um, and just true and just well supported by by evidence and reason yeah. and, and all of that. So, yeah. and and so just so we're clear, you are also not a uh, unemotional guy, right? Like you're not this guy who's like totally one hundred percent a brain. You also have a heart. This it was this evidence as I think it's a one of the ancient fathers who is super old. Uh, he's said, uh, while well, I think it's actually Aristotle, he was uh, holding onto a lamp that was shining into his his eyes. It's a painting that illuminates his heart. And so you investigated the evidence, the thoughts, the mm-hmm. the realities, the truth, the facts around Christianity, and that ultimately illuminated your heart to seeing that this is a being yep. that loves me immensely, is pursuing a relationship with me, and ultimately wants me to live out how he has authentically designed you. Um, am I putting? I don't. I don't want to put words no, in I mean, your mouth, but that's that's true. Yeah, and it was also realizing it's plausibly true that I'm someone who what I believe in my mind or what I believe in my heart has to make sense in my mind. Yeah, and I 
even when I thought it, you know, it's it's understood it and said, okay, this is really interesting. Is it true? Is it plausible? Is it yeah. respectable? Can I be a college student? Can I be an adult? Yeah. And say, you know, credibly, plausibly, reasonably that this is this is true, and I, yeah. I want to put my I want to stake my everything on this because yeah. that's that is what Jesus calls us to. Yeah. As one of my high schoolers just we're talking, I'm talking about baptism. He said, you know, I, I think I want to get baptized because like this is like real life now, like this is real, and it's like, yeah, man, it is. And so that's yep. what you're articulating. Christianity is real. It's not a fairy tale. It's not something we wish. It, it, it is something that we wish were true. And the amazing thing is it actually is. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good way to say it. So uh, anyway, there, we actually have a podcast. Our very first, one of our first apologetic podcasts. You can hear more from Randy uh, and his story if you want to jump back to that episode uh, sometime in J- January. The episode uh, title is, blank, is, is spacing on me right now. But feel free to check that out. Um, but let's jump in. We have a huge topic today. Uh, today's topic is covering the idea of uh, has science killed God? And we have uh, an extensive discussion around this. Um, today, uh, just so you guys understand, well, before I get to any of this, I also have to say we are almost to 100 followers. So please, if you have not yet, please subscribe. Uh, please um, like, share, do all of the things you can. Please leave us a comment on Apple Podcast. Leave us a review. Um, Genuinely, we, we, we want to see this become something that helps to illuminate the issues of this world, to shine the light of Christ in every situation, to arm and equip followers of Jesus, to know that their faith is real, to, as Randy just said, to, to believe the things in their heart and to know those things are true in their mind. So that's what we hope to do, and that's what we're talking about today, because there is a discussion out there that says science has done away with God. So let's jump in. Sounds good. So I want to give you guys just a quick little overview of what we're going to be doing here. So before you guys shut this podcast off, because we're going to be talking about a lot of really heavy things, I want to help you guys know what we're talking about today in today's podcast. This is a two-part episode. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking with Randy uh, about the idea of origins, as he spoke uh, in the introduction there. Uh, And where did we come from? How did we get here? What, what, What caused all of this to happen? Um, was there even a cause? Have we just been existing? Has this just been all of eternity? Those are questions around origin and every worldview, every single worldview has to answer those questions in order to be coherent and comprehensive. Um, and so those, that the very first question naturally is origin. So this podcast will be published when it is published, will be published on May 17th. Uh, on Wednesday, that'll be part one, and we'll be discussing or discussing origins, like I said. But then we're gonna have a second podcast, and that second part is going to come out this coming Saturday, uh, and that is going to be May twentieth, uh, and that's going to be with Dr. Ethan Hillman. Uh, he is actually a PhD. Uh, postdoc working up at the University of Michigan uh, in which he's actually working with uh, genes and DNA and helping to create uh, particular forms of fiber uh, in his in, in the biological r- world. And so he'll be joining us um, on Saturday this coming weekend. And so uh, try to listen to all of this podcast, all of these podcasts as much as you can, these podcasts as much as you can, because these two are the quintessential discussion points for most of the scientific world and how God has been killed by science, um, is that we don't need God for a start point 
and that obviously we don't even need God now because evolution explains everything. So Ethan is going to be coming and talking to us about the idea of evolution on Saturday. So again, like, subscribe, uh, check all that out. Again, we're almost to 100 followers. We'd love to do that before the end of May. I believe we're at 95 right now. So it's obviously because of Randy's incredibly deep baritone voice that most people have subscribed. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Anyway, so let's jump in. Uh, Randy, we're talking today, as has been said several times now, that science has killed God. One of the outcomes that we want to be able to say is that you can be a smart, intellectual scientist Mm -hmm. who is pursuing science and all of its endeavors and still be a faithful follower of Jesus. That's kind of the bottom line that we want everybody to walk away with. You can still believe in God and still do good science. Absolutely. Um, And so help, help us understand how that's possible. Sure. Yeah. And it's a, it's a sort of common narrative. It goes back now probably a couple centuries really with the, I think the advent of uh, people like Charles Darwin um, and his, his uh, disciples for lack of a better term, uh, better term afterward. But yeah. His, I guess let me dispel that myth. There, there definitely is no conflict. Uh, in fact, there's a great book by John Lennox. He's got three doctorates. He's a mathematician philosopher. It's called God's undertaker has his science buried God, similar kind of um, provocative title. And, and yeah. he, shows very, very clearly. And he's got a, a simpler book, if that one's too deep, called Can Science Explain Everything? Yeah. Oh, I should also say before you continue, we're going to have all of these resources and more in the show notes of this, of the description of this episode. So please, if you hear anything and you're like, where did they get that? It will most likely be in the show notes. So keep going. Yep. Yeah. So this book, Can Science Explain Everything? So I've talked to students at, at U of M both, you know, during my years there and, and afterward. And yeah, there's this, this common conception that being a, being a Christian and being a scientist are mutually exclusive. It's a zero-sum game. The, yeah. the more science advances, the less ground or turf God has left. So it's a it's a battle between them. It's a turf war, and nothing could be further from the truth. And let me give you very quickly um, four reasons why that's really a myth. Like There is no conflict between God and science. First, there, the Bible is not a scientific text. I mean, if you're a Christian, the Bible is your, your objective source of truth. Yeah. And so we have 66 books, 73 if you're a Roman Catholic, and maybe some other number if you're in yeah. a, a small sect, maybe yeah. in, in Africa or whatever, but sure, I, I digress. Sure. Um, so the, the, the Bible is it's not a scientific text. It's not purporting to be. It's, it's, it's special revelation from God. Yeah. Um, nor, nor are science books theology texts. And then secondly, and related to that, there's actually very little overlap between theology and science. Yeah. Um, the Bible is not going to give you, you know, Boyle's gas law. It's not going to give you general relativity. It's not going to give you all these theories. Um, but there is a little bit of overlap, and that happens. So it's not to say that the that science can have implications for theology. It certainly can. Yeah. And where those implications happen, where you find that, that little overlap in that Venn diagram, yeah. is when you get to uh, things like worldview questions of origins. That's yeah. where scientific ideas have significant implications. But in just in general, J.P. Morrowin's a brilliant Christian philosopher. He's highlighted this. One of his books called Scientism and Secularism, that, you know, there's a little overlap. Thirdly, if it were the case that you could be, or that you couldn't be a Christian and a scientist, then someone's not really, they claim that not really doing good history. Um, there are some huge, huge pioneer names in science. People like Galileo, Kepler, Pascal, Boyle, Newton, Faraday, Clerk Maxwell. These people were Christians and they did science because they believed that in an orderly universe created by the mind of God. For example, Kepler discovered the laws of planetary motion. Here's what he wrote. The chief aim of all investigations of the external world 
should be to discover the rational order which has been imposed in it by God mm. and which he revealed to us in the language of mathematics. And here's a really fun statistic. It's, it's from a book um, by Baruch Abba Shalev. It's called 100 Years of Nobel Prizes. It's a review of Nobel Prizes awarded between 1901 and 2000. 65.4% of Nobel laureates have identified Christianity in its various forms as their religious preference. That's 423 Nobel Prizes. Uh, 78.3 in peace, 72.5 in chemistry, 65.3 in physics, 62 in medicine, 54 in economics, 49.5 in literature. Um, I think, so, so here, Randy, I just want to pause, before you, before you keep going, you just glazed over a whole bunch of, like, the Nobel Prize. Yes, the Nobel Prize. Is, is like, the, like, platinum standard of prizes in any given field of study. Yeah, in, in those in those disciplines where they award them, yeah. Like yes. it's, it's the top prize in Yes. I, I would argue in medicine, yes, physics, chemistry, all yeah. of that. And so And so what you're saying is is that sixty six percent of them roughly, yeah, in, roughly in the last century identified were, as Christians or identified in, as Christian being their primary in one form or another. Yeah, and th- another. that book documents it and um, and and I, I find that reference again in, in Lennox's book, but it, it I, I've met I've met scientists here. You're, you're going to interview a scientist yes. for the upcoming next podcast, yes. so it's and medical doctors yeah. and physicians and I mean like the list goes on of people who are actively involved scientifically who fear and love a theistic yeah. being. Yeah. So for for a lot of these guys, again, huge names: Babbage, Boyle. Galileo, Kepler, you know, James Clerk Maxwell, for example, he, he developed the, the mathematical laws of, or the, the physical laws and mathematical descriptions thereof, of like electromagnetism and light that preceded Einstein's work. And he had Psalm 111, verse 2, uh, inscribed above his Cavendish laboratory in Cambridge, England, where so many huge discoveries were made. So here's, it says, Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. That's above this guy's scientific laboratory. If you make the claim you can't be a scientist and a Christian, it can be demonstrably refuted by literally thousands of scientists who have yeah. been, been exactly that, Christian yeah. in their faith. And here's, here's why. So here's a, here's a quote, um, and, I'll, and I'll stop quoting. You're fine. I'm so, literally getting tears right now just thinking about this, how amazing this is. Keep going. So science is advanced. This is reason number four. Science is advanced in the West because scientists expected to find an orderly and rational universe. And that expectation arose from the Judeo-Christian worldview. It makes sense. If you think there's a pantheon of gods, you're going to yeah. get different laws of physics potentially in yeah. in the sea where Poseidon's in control versus, you know, maybe the sky where, where you know, someone else is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But here's what Melvin Calvin, a Nobel Prize winner in biochemistry, writes. He says, as I try to discern the origin of that conviction, this idea that, you know, the universe is orderly and can be uh, discovered scientifically. He says, I seem to find it in a basic notion discovered two or 3,000 years ago and enunciated first in the Western world by the ancient Hebrews, namely that the universe is governed by a single God and is not the product of the whims of many gods, each governing his own province according to his own laws. This monotheistic view seems to be the historical foundation for modern science. <laughs> not to say you can't get science without monotheism. Now, he's not saying yeah, that. No, he's not. just saying historically that's the way it's unfolded. Yeah. So many Christians were scientists because they, they thought God is orderly. He's rational. Yeah. He's, the idea of like uniformity. Like yeah. The laws of nature are the same today as a million years ago or yeah. however long ago. And they're the same here as they are on Jupiter or another yeah. galaxy. That idea of, of a consistent, steady, uh, you know, rational universe that, that right. can be apprehended and described mathematically by our minds and by experimentation. These guys expected the universe to be like that. And then they went out and did their science and they had that expectation uh, because they were Christian and it yeah. fit very, 
comfortably and naturally in yeah. their Christian worldview. So let me be the devil's advocate for just a second, because what you just said sounds like uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy within the scientific method that they thought, well, it's going to be orderly, so it should be orderly. So let's go investigate if it's orderly. What do you know? It's orderly. Yeah. How does that... Uh, does that have any, you know, faulty thinking? Is there any like, well, they just, there was a self-fulfilling bias or a, 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 a bias. Um, what's the word I'm trying to describe? It's um, scientific. Gosh, I'm blanking on the way that it's described that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, yeah. but that's the wrong term. Um, uh, uh, experimental bias, if you will. Um, that they thought this was going to happen and they tested to see if this was going to happen. And sure enough, it happened. It's almost like they stacked the deck, kind of. Well, the thing is, I don't think they, think they could have stacked it because they're using a methodology called the, the scientific method. And by the way, let's just define that term so we, so we yeah. have it. Great. What is science? Um, there's not one consistent definition. You're not going to go to – by the way, this is something that philosophers of science, not scientists, would define. But um, as philosophy is a second-order discipline, yeah. and when you talk about you know doing science is one thing, but what is science? And yeah. So J.P. Morrow, and I like his definition, so I'll use it. He says, uh, science is systems of knowledge of the physical or material world based on facts obtained through observation and experimentation. So it's just a methodology. Gotcha. Um, Einstein said one of the most remarkable, I'm paraphrasing, one of the most remarkable things about the universe is that it's understandable. You know, wh- why should why should reality be like that? Beautiful. There's a really influential paper from the 1960s called The Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics, written by Eugene Wigner, another Nobel laureate in physics. And he writes a whole paper, and he's like, mathematics is unreasonably effective in the natural (laughs) sciences. Um, And this is something, as a math major, I've really, really studied in depth because it just fascinates me. Oh, yeah, we didn't even mention that, that you have a degree from Michigan in pure mathematics. Yep. Right, and a double major in literature. Yeah, English literature and mathematics. mathematics. Yep, pure math. So it's... You know, you can use science to not only describe but predict. For example, they found that's how they find planets. Yeah. The laws of, of gravity say that a planet, you know, follows a certain motion or path, and it should be here. It's not there, or it's wobbling. Something's tugging. Up. They have found planets that way. So it's used. Wow. If you didn't take into account general and special relativity with satellites, your GPS would be off by several miles a day. Wow. Depending on how much you drive, because <laughs> the, you know, the, the faster you go, time slows down. Relative to someone who's moving slower, uh, that's special relativity. General relativity, the farther you get from Earth, you know, center, it, the, the gravity is a bit different. That has implications. So it's oh man, it. They weren't testing to see if the scientific method works. They were just trying to understand and describe nature, and yes. and, and they they found that it was very very predictable and describable, right. and there's no reason for that. If the universe is truly chaotic, you know, or it just popped into existence, if there's no intelligent yeah. cause behind it, Einstein remarked, "Why should it be that way? Right. It didn't have to be." Yeah, and the fact that math is so effective, yeah, at at predicting and describing lots and lots of things, and the, the within math, reality, right? Within reality, yeah, yeah you absolutely. can you can fit all the major major important physics equations that we have on roughly a couple of sheets of paper. I mean, they're yeah. that beautiful, they're that concise. The universe yeah. is that describable, yeah, and so it's that's wonderful. So then, so let's land this plan because because I think what we're getting at is our hope is, is again, you can be a faithful intellectual scientist who believes in a theistic God. We've proven that, that there are Nobel Prize winners, yeah. hundreds of Nobel Prize winners, that have won and believe that there's a theistic, monotheistic God. And monotheistic mean, basically just means a one divine entity that has created, right? Yeah, so theism, um, you want me to find that real quick? Uh, well, in just a second. Yeah. So our goal here is, is to 
land with, we want you to be curious about the natural world. We want you to pursue the natural world in a way that fosters a worshipfulness and a humility that like when you're walking in the mountains and you're like, I am an ant compared to the rocks that hold this thing up. There's no way that I, cause that's what I love about what you said. The, the universe should be understandable. Well, there's, there's no reason why it, if it, there's no God behind it, why it should be. Yeah. And what I'm saying is that the fact that I can walk in the wilderness and look up at these mountains and be like, this is uncomprehensible how small I am compared to whatever it was that made this. That is a heart posture of worship. Yep. Just like, what's his name? Great are the wonders of the works of God from Psalm, what was it, Psalm 20? Um, Psalm uh, 111 verse one, 2. 111 verse 2. How beautiful is that? That's over the the the, the, the science lab of where the some of the greatest experiments and science scientific yes. discoveries were ever created. That's or, or not created, discovered. That's amazing. Yep. And so what we want to have happen is if you're a student, if you're a college student, if you're even a parent or you're just somebody who likes science, you don't have to bow to the cultural narrative that says you can't be a Christian and believe God. Right? Yep. So let's uh, or, or be a Christian and be and be a scientist. Yes, yeah, be a Christian and, and be a and scientist. That, yeah. Again, it would simply take one counterexample to prove that claim wrong. And right. we have literally thousands of people who Yes. Now there is a conflict. Yes. Um, it's not between God and science. And and Lennox points this out beautifully in, in in his book, but it, the conflict is between theism and philosophical naturalism. So yeah. theism yeah. It's, it's, in other words, it's a worldview conflict, not a scientific right. conflict. Because yeah. again, science and theology have a little overlap. There are many, many Christians who are scientists. Yeah. And, um, you know, in many ways, the scientific method has advanced because of yeah. Christian or Judeo-Christian notions of this right. irrational, orderly universe. But theism is, is the worldview that says that the physical universe is not all there is. There's an infinite personal God beyond the universe who created it, sustains it, and can act within it in a right. supernatural way. He's he's out there and in here. Yep. Um, that's the, the view that's, you know, espoused by traditional Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Yeah. Whereas philosophical naturalism, or just naturalism, is the idea that, in Carl Sagan's words, uh, nature is all that there is. Yeah. There is no outside of the universe. It's just matter, energy, space, and time, and the laws of physics, and, right. and to a lesser extent, chemistry. And that, yeah. and that's it. That's where the worldview, uh, or that, that's where the conflict or the debate's happening. It's at a worldview level. Again, science is just a tool. Right. It's a tool of, of epistemology. It's a way of getting at truth or right. the study of knowledge. Knowledge. Yep. Um, How we know things. Yep. Again, Morwen says it's the systems of knowledge, epistemology of the physical and material world through right. facts, uh, from observation, experimentation. That's that's what there is. So there is a conflict, but it's a worldview conflict. Yes. That's why, you know, Christians can use science to make their case just as much as atheists often do. Yeah. See Richard Dawkins. See right. Christopher Hitchens. Right. See Daniel. Um, Dennett, see some yeah. of the, the other new atheists and, and just yeah. and just other skeptics out there. Uh, did you say Harris as well? Sam Harris. Sam, Sam Harris, Harris yep. is another one that does that as well. Yep. So the, they will use science. Yep. To argue for their atheistic worldview. Right. Well, what's what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Christians are free to do that too because science is a tool. Yeah. It's not a worldview. Right. And so that that's that's key to understand. You right. can, uh, but Richard Lewontin, who's a, a famous, I think, geneticist from Harvard. Famously said, you know, we can, and he, he's an atheist. He's a skeptic. He said, we cannot allow a divine foot in the door, mm. and that's that's not the cannot of evidence. That's the cannot of you know, yeah, philosophical or ro- right. worldview presuppositions, assumptions. Yeah, again, that's 
That's that's the conflict. So there is one, but not between God and science. It's between two opposing worldviews. One says there's something beyond nature, a supernatural being called God, and one says there's not. And because we know that uh, the um, uh, law of non-contradiction has to coincide uh, or has to be factual, right? You can't have a uh, you can't have a triangle with three sides and a triangle with four sides. You can't call those though. You can't say that both of those are triangles because only one of them is. Um, and so like you can't have God exists and God doesn't exist. You Correct. can't have both of those statements be true because the law of non-contradiction says those contradict each other. Yep. And therefore only one is either only one or n- neither of them is true. Um, and so that's what we're getting at. And again, that's, I think that's where I want to, I, I just want us to, to, to really focus that this first portion of that, of this podcast, uh, or this, this first portion of, as we step into this, cause we have about, uh, 20 minutes to unpack origins. All right. Um, so let's kind of turn the corner here and, uh, jump into our discussion on, uh, origins, because what you're saying is you're saying it's a worldview question and what are the five worldview um, questions that need to be answered by every worldview. The first one is origin, which we're going to talk yeah. about in a second. But then the next one is so it's, uh, it's four, four of them. Oh, four. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you can parse them differently. I yeah. I heard one apologist say origin, and it's three origins. Today we're talking about life. There's yeah. origin of the universe. Yep. Why is there something rather than nothing? Yep. Origin of life. How do you go from rock and dirt and just yep. basic inorganic material to to life, yep. and then origin of consciousness? Yeah. Why are we thinking meat? <laughs> Why not yes. a thoughtless meat? And then yes. um, meaning, what's right in, or uh, why are we here? What's yep. our purpose? Yep. Is it subjective, objective? Do we make it up? Is it yep. imbued upon us? Um, and then morality, what's right and wrong? Yep. And then destiny, what happens after we died? Yep. Are we, is, is that it? Is there yep. heaven and hell? Is there reincarnation? Right. Um, whatever so, it might be. Just quickly, a theistic worldview would say that God caused our origin. A theistic yep. worldview would say that our meaning has been gi- our meaning and value has been given to us by that theistic entity. Yep. Um, our morality is governed by that theistic morality, and our destiny is ultimately to reside with that theistic uh, that theistic being upon whether or not we choose to do that or not. Yep. But that's the ultimate goal of the theistic being, who we would call God. Right? Um, there's another term. Uh, that is not biblical, it's more philosophical, it's the maximally great being that we ascribe yep. to as the idea of Yahweh from the Bible, right? Yep. Um, so we're not talking about um, uh, Allah or uh, from the Quran or even the Judaist, Judaist, Judaistic idea of Yahweh that comes from Judaism. We're talking about, um, which obviously the Judaistic Yahweh and the Christian Yahweh are synonymous and one and the same, but they don't believe Jesus is a part of that um, entity. Uh, I'm probably stepping into some heresy there when I make that statement, but yeah, just to put a bow on it. Yeah, yeah. We're, we believe in yeah in one God who's one being who's tripersonal. He's just one in essence, three in personhood. Right. And yeah, he's the he's this he's the cause of all things. Ultimately, yes. yeah, right and wrong are defined by him from yep. and flow out of his character. Yep. And yeah, ideally, you spend eternity with him right. um, through his son. And so then the natural, uh, the philosophical naturalism or naturalism, as it's also ta- t- entitled, says our origin has no has no cause. We've just always been. Uh, our meaning, our value is derived from what will further our species. Our morality, again, is only derived from what will further our species. And our destiny is to be dirt. Essentially. 
Yeah, I mean, secular humanists might might want to put a rosier view on some of that. Um, <laughs> sure. You know, we, I probably, we that was a little heavy handed. Probably, <laughs> we, we we you know we give our lives meaning, and that's not you know a a, a, a non worthwhile exercise. Like it has yeah. some some value. You know, right and wrong yeah. can be defined by you subjectively or your culture. Yeah. Um, or your societal yeah. uh, space. Yeah, so they, they might try it, but ultimately, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a it's a pretty despairing picture. Like yeah. basically, there's there's no cause, so your life really can't have meaning because there's an ultimate cause behind it. You're you're a happy accident, you're a product of of chance. Yeah. And um, blind, unguided processes, and yeah. yeah. And after you die, that's that's it. So that's there's it. there's ultimately no objective right or wrong, no yeah. objective ultimate meaning. Right. That's a pretty uh, depressing. Doesn't make it. False. Uh, I think it's false for other reasons, but it, yeah. it, it's a depressing. Outlook. I think that's a really key distinction as we step into our discussion. We're not claiming that this is false because we don't like it. We're claiming that it's false mm-hmm. because it's not consistent yeah. with what we are seeing in reality. So I think this is a great opportunity now for us to step into that very first one. And you said there are three questions of origin within the third theist within, within at least any, at least right. And you said one is why is there something rather than nothing? It's the universe. The universe. Then you said why is there life, which is what we're yeah. going to be talking about today. How do we go from rocks to thinking meat, and or, then that, or from rocks to just being alive? Yeah, to being alive, and then from being alive to, to consciousness. consciousness. How is it that you and I are able to sit at this table with computers, microphones, books? And information, yep. and be able to talk about that. Why is that? Or put planes in the sky, or satellites yeah. in orbit, and yeah, or allegedly and, and ask, a man on the moon, and ask questions, <laughs> and ask questions like, why are we here, and yeah. what's the meaning of life? Yeah. So the question comes down to, you know, how do you go from basic elements, basic molecules, and get life? Yeah, get some and. Even life doesn't have a, a clear boundary, but you can basically say it's a couple of things. It's something that uses ener- uses and stores energy. It's something that that reproduces, and as as we as we found, thanks to Watson and Crick, and have only continued to find more and more that it's something that has information inside it. And I'll, yeah. I'm getting, getting ahead of myself there, but it's a question of how do you go from inorganic stuff yeah. on a dead, lifeless planet to yeah. the abundance of life? Yeah. Um, now. The origin question is properly a chemistry question, okay. whereas evolution is properly a biology question because yeah. evolution is trying to answer the question of, and I won't define it, but it is trying to answer eight, one of the questions is, why, why do we see so much biodiversity? How do yeah. we go from a single-celled organism yeah. to everything we see from you know lions yeah. to humans to trees to, yeah. to fungi to bacteria, you name it? Shameless plug. That's going to come on Saturday. So, yep. so tune in for, tune in for part tune two. Tune in for that. So that, that's a biology question. The chemistry question is how do you get something that's a self-replicating molecule like yeah. like DNA, like like life? Uh, how do you go from inorganic? Because it's a ink and, and people that study origin of life have, have noted this, it's an almost incomprehensibly vast chasm yeah. that you have to leap to go from non-life to life. Yeah. How does that happen? Yeah. Yeah. So then the question then becomes, okay, so why and i think uh who was the guy that said we cannot let a divine foot in the uh, door? richard lewanton yeah so that that seems to be a uh, a bias like we can't even let them have a seat at the table intelligent designers are not allowed in here divine acts are not a possible thing yep and that just seems so anti well the 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 philosophical naturalism gets yeah. gets imported into the scientific method that, that's, yes. So they believe, and you do have to have what's called uh, methodological naturalism. Yep. When you're doing science, you don't look to point to God to explain yeah. everything. Right. You, you try to find a naturalistic explanation for, yeah. for what you're observing. And 
but when they get to the implications of a scientific theory that that methodological naturalism carries over into like a philosophical worldview yeah naturalism so you're right it's not it's not the cannot of science it's the cannot of a worldview yeah and it is a bias yeah um, and we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit are we doing a god of the gaps argument here when we yeah. argue from the origin of life to, to god's existence yeah. but the short answer is no we're not yeah so then, okay, so what are, the, I guess, the best theories that they have out there? None. Okay. <laughs> so, so okay, I actually remember, it was really funny, uh, just a quick story. Uh, this was, man, this was probably a year ago now that we've, actually, I think it was exactly a year ago, two years ago, it was two years ago, um, that we had you and Marty uh, speak about science. Mm-hmm. Um, and you articulated, uh, I think it was at least one theory that they have. That's the best theory they have. I sort of raged. Um, yeah, you did kind of. Wasn't rage. so much articulating. It was, it was so funny because uh, you were running out of time and you were just like, "This is what." Uh! Yeah. <laughs> and, and so there's that theory, but what was so cool was so yeah. Tell us what that theory was, uh, and how they had it, and what's wrong with it. Right. Um, and then if there's any other theories that are their best guess, because that's what it sounds like you're saying is as to how they got from. A, a cold, dark, lonely yep. planet to llamas. <laughs> let, before I before I explain the, the theories, let me explain what what has to be explained. Yeah. Um, so this is super important, and I'm going to paraphrase here. But it, the problem of the origin of, and I'm, I'm quoting a guy named Bernd Olaf Cooper's uh, his book Information and the Origin of Life, published by MIT Press, 1990. He says the problem of of the origin of life is clearly basically equivalent to the problem of the origin of biological information. Okay. So you go back decades, you have two guys named Watson and Crick. There were others, and that's, that's a whole yeah. kind of scandal, people not getting credit and all that. But yeah. um, they discovered the, the, the DNA double helix. Yep. And we now have the Human Genome Project. Francis Collins, a Christian, yes. ran that. And you know, it's basically in every cell in your body, there are six, there's six feet of DNA. Okay. And you have 100 trillion cells in your body. That's, okay. that's a lot of DNA. Yeah. That is a one-dimensional molecule. Yep. Uh, and it's, there, there are four letters. It's four um, compounds or molecules, as it were, A, yeah. G, C, and T. Okay. And they tell the, the, the ribosomes, the cellular you know, infrastructure, how to, uh, and DNA does a lot of things. This is one of them. It's yeah. not all that it does. Yeah. Um, they're really, they're learning that junk DNA is really not junk at all. Yeah. But DNA tells the cell how to stack amino acids in a way that will b- build a functional protein that, that has the right properties, that will fold the right way. But yeah. in, in, what's even more amazing though, is that protein will fit into a cell that fits into a tissue yeah. that fits into a body plan because yeah. maybe it's liver tissue, maybe it's brain tissue, maybe yeah. it's your skin, uh, you know, on yeah. your hand. But so it, it's encoding. So there are brain cells, eye cells, ear cells. There are same DNA in all of them, same DNA in all of them, but they all serve a different function. Yep. And so to build an organism, you need information. Yeah. That's what they found. And this is not an analogy. Let me read uh, another quote. This is from, um, uh, information theorist Hubert Yaki, and let me get the name of his book real quick. Uh, okay. It's uh, actually from the Journal of Theoretical Biology. It's from, um, an earlier article. He writes this. He says, "It is important to understand that we are not reasoning by analogy. The sequence hypothesis, meaning that the genetic code works exactly like a book, applies directly to the protein and the, and the genetic text, as well as to written language, and therefore the treatment is mathematically identical." In other words. We study origin of life. You have to explain where the information come from yeah. to build the organism. That is a, it's it's functioning exactly like it's not an analogy. It's functioning exactly like biological computer code. The mathematical treatment's the same. Yeah. The information theory treatment's the same. And so, how do you get 
biological computer code. That's And there are 3.1 billion bits of it in human DNA. That's what they found out when they sequenced the whole human genome. It's just a, a massive amount of information, again, in every cell of your body. So to put that into, into context, what you're saying is you're saying if you open up your phone and you open up an app right now, there's a whole bunch of computer code running yep. that app. And it, that is not nearly as complicated as no. the DNA and cells, which are being described not yep. in analogy, but in actuality as computer code or as not computer code, but as biological nope. code yep. within your cells. Here's Bill Gates. DNA is like a computer program, but far, far more advanced than any software we've ever created. It's a direct quote from <laughs> well, Bill Gates. I guess that's, <laughs> that sums it up for us. <laughs> you, you might have heard of RSA encryption. Um, one, the A in, in RSA, is, this guy's called the father, Leonard Adelman. He's the father of DNA computing. He says, the most important thing about DNA computing is that it shows that DNA molecules can do what we normally think only computers can do. This implies that computer science and biology are closely related, that every living thing can be thought to be computing something, and that sometimes we can understand living things better by looking at them as computers. How on earth do you explain that? That's the $64 billion question. And yeah. the answer is, if you, and origin of life researchers, this has been documented extensively, so I, I won't go into it, but yeah. um, the answer is they don't know. They have no idea. They wow. don't have any good theory. So l- let me wow. tell you three yeah. um, in the time that we have. Yeah. The first one, uh, let me start with, with the funny ones. Um, I, I, I had to do this to my, my, my son. So there, there, let me give you two examples. There's a show called Nova. It's on PBS. I grew up watching a bit of it. My wife grew up watching a lot of it. Yeah. And they had an episode a couple of years ago. It's 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 all like science episodes. Could be about about, yeah. about volcanoes or yeah. building cruise ships, whatever it might be. And um, they had a multi episode series on the elements. And they had one on life. Yeah. And they had two theories in there. They only mentioned two. Yeah. One of them. Can you guess what it was? Uh. Well, you just mentioned lava, so probably it was lava. Something to do with lava. Lava was a different one. I'll come okay. back to lava. Okay. Bubbles. 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 <laughs> okay. Help me understand. Because maybe, you know, in, in the, the primordial earth, things were sloshing around. Maybe yeah. you've got basic organic compounds. And totally. They, and there's a similar kind of theory, like maybe DNA formed in the back of crystals. Yeah. Um, oh, my goodness. Bubbles was one. Bubbles was one. Okay. Actually, there, there's four. One, uh, another one is that aliens did it. Yep. Okay. Uh, in fact, Crick, who won the Nobel Prize, I mean, and he said, like, the... Life seems seems like a miracle. Yeah. So so hard would it be for it to get going? He ended up going with a view called directed panspermia. Yeah. And now it's the idea that life was seeded from outer space. Now it could have been on a meteorite or an asteroid. Yeah, totally. Or it could have been aliens. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's those are other origin theories. That that reads like bad science fiction. Yeah. Where did the aliens come from? Is obviously the next question. Yeah. But we don't have time to unpack that. So and space <laughs> and space is this incomprehensibly vast. How yeah. did they? If the universe is thirteen point eight billion years old, how did yeah. they get here? How did they? Anyway. Right. Yeah. How did they evolve? How did like how is that? It punts the problem to a planet we haven't observed or that we can't see. Yeah. So therefore, unfalsifiable by scientific method. And reads like bad science fiction. Exactly. The third one is volcanoes. Maybe you know. um, And this was on this was on a show on Netflix. I'm watching about like hurricanes, tornadoes, volcanoes, and they kept talking about how like it led to life and maybe uh, you know underwater by ocean vents. The problem is you get basically like this: the 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 plates get folded under. Yep. And melt. Yeah. So it really shortens your geologic timeline. No one yeah. really holds that theory yeah. at all. Yeah. And then the fourth one, and this was in the Nova episode, and I, I paused the show and I, I told my son, I want you to understand what they just did. It's a very famous experiment called the Yuri Miller experiment. Um, 
I, I saw it in, in, in high school biology. Many, many people have. They basically yeah. take some test tubes. They, they put in some, some chemicals and they zap it with elect- electricity for a week. Yep. And it produces amino acids. And they're yeah. like, oh, this is how life could have arisen. Yeah. Um, it's been completely discredited. <laughs> Not because it was a bad experiment at the time, but because we now know through astronomy, through cosmology, astrophysics, planet formation, all of that, that the elements, they, in the, the compounds and the chemicals they used in that experiment did not reflect how we now know the early Earth's atmosphere would have looked like. And so there's a, another great book called Case for Creator. Um, in chapter three... This is by Lee Strobel. By right? Lee Strobel, yep. yep. He interviews a guy with two PhDs, uh, one in, in religious studies um, from Yale, but also a PhD in molecular and cell biology from UC Berkeley. Okay. And here's what he explains you get. If you reran the experiment with the actual atmosphere of the early Earth, you end up with organic molecules, but when you ask what they are, it's formaldehyde, it's cyanide, it's embalming fluid, it's things that rips proteins apart. <laughs> and so it, it's a discredited experiment. No one thinks that's where life came from anymore. And yet they showed it in a Nova that was, I think, aired yeah. maybe two years ago. So this experiment that you're talking about was also talked about in the AP chemistry class that one of our students yep. was in. And the day after you gave this talk, this student <coughs> texted me that Monday and I was like, you're not, you're not going to believe what unit we just started in AP chemistry. And it was the unit on origins. Yep. And this, the Miller-Urey experiment, was the experiment that they said explains where life came from. And they talked about, like it, talked about it like it was fact. Yep. And what you're saying is that, and not just what you're saying, what other scientists are saying is that that theory is completely debunked. And because of new scientific discoveries, they now understand that that's not how the universe was. Or yeah, geochemists would say that's not how the early Earth's atmosphere would have looked. If you right. if you rerun the, and this is page uh, thirty eight, case for creator. If you rerun, um, and Strobel is interviewing Wells, the guy with two doctorates. If you he says if you rerun the experiment, um, I'll quote. He says formaldehyde is so toxic. You open a bottle and it fries proteins all over the place just from the fumes. It kills embryos. The idea that using a realistic atmosphere gets you the first step in the origin of life is just laughable. Here's a fun <laughs> quote. An honest man, armed with all the knowledge available to us now, could only state that in some sense the origin of life appears to be at the moment to be almost a miracle. So many are the conditions which would have had or which have had to have been satisfied to get it going. That's Francis Crick, the guy that discovered DNA. He says that in some sense the origin of life appears to be almost a miracle. Francis Crick, Life Itself, 1981, uh, published by Simon and Schuster, oh page 88. So he. Again, he's like, the odds are just so insurmountable. Now, yeah. there is an RNA first hypothesis. Sure. Um, RNA is like, it, it's ribonucleic acid. It, yeah. it acts, uh, there's messenger RNA. It carries information, you know, from DNA around the cell. Same problem. No, no one believes that, that that's very credible for a really good treatment of that. Uh, the book came out very recently. It's called Return of the God Hypothesis by Stephen Meyer. Yeah. He's got two chapters on origin of life. One okay. arguing for uh, God based on it, and then a whole chapter refuting all of the other theories. Um, the other theories, especially the, the RNA ones. Okay. It, it's really like cutting edge, current state of the yeah. art for the research, but yeah. basically no one holds to that. It's still a huge problem. It's still a very right. complicated information rich molecule. Yeah. It's just, you're going from like insane complexity to still like pretty insane complexity. Where did that, Yeah. where did that come from? But here's why this isn't a God of the gaps argument. I know we're getting yeah. no, you're fine. Yep. close on time. Yeah. We're, we're not saying we can't explain where life came from. So God did it. Yeah. We're not doing that at all. In any other context, anywhere, anytime you see information, 
especially and information has two components. It's specific yeah. and it's complex. Yep. It's specific because it conforms to some standard. Yep. Um, if I just type a random string of text on my keyboard, that's complex, but it's not specific. It's gibberish. Right. Um, I could type the word the 50 times over and over again. That's specific, but it's not complex. It's yeah. repetitive. It's simple. DNA is specific. It's complex. It's information. Anywhere else we find information, we always rightfully assume there's intelligence behind it. Whether it's H-O-L-L-Y-W-O-O-D on the side of a mountain or a hill in California, right. spelling Hollywood. Whether it's a dictionary, we don't think a tornado hit a printing press right. and produced that. Right. Whenever we see computer code, we know there's a programmer behind it. Right. Whenever we see in SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, yeah. the movie Contact. Yes. Uh, Carl Sagan, yes. a naturalist. You know, they in the movie she gets um, pulses from outer space. They pick up, and it's the prime number is two up to ninety-seven. Yeah. So all the primes less than hundred. They know there's intelligence behind that because it conforms to a pattern. Prime numbers. One message from space would convince scientists that there's intelligent life out there. How about right. three point one billion bits of information in every cell in your body? Yeah. We're not arguing from what we don't know. We're arguing from what we do know. Whenever we see intelligence... That, wait, hold on. What you just said there is really key for the God of the Gaps hypothesis. We're not arguing from what we don't know. Yes. We're arguing from what we do know. So yes. it, it's an inference of the best explanation. Correct. That's why Christians are pushing for this. It's it's really to get a seat at, at the intellectual table. Yes. We And that's why this matters. There, there's a live hypothesis. And it's very scientific to say... And you're not you're not committed to saying it's God. It's just like, look, there's information in the body. Yeah. There's information in the, in every cell in, yeah. in your body. We always know in any other context, information comes from intelligence. What is the intelligence like that that produced this? Right. You can be agnostic about what that intelligence is. Is it could be yeah. lots. It could be aliens if you're crick. It could yeah. be the God of the Bible if you're a Christian. Yeah. But we're making an inference to the best explanation, and that's what Meyer does in his book. He's saying, yeah. look, we're arguing from what we do know. Information comes from intelligence. Yes. We're seeing information in the cell. Yes. It's not an unreasonable leap Correct. to conclude there's some kind of, in this case, amazing intelligence behind right. life because, for heaven's sake, I mean, yeah. the, the gap is incomprehensible. One other point, too, is um, um, it, when you, there's a whole book on this by Fazrana with Reasons to Believe. Okay. When you try to make life in the laboratory, it, it shows just how hard it is because you can have dozens of scientists working for months on end in very perfect controlled conditions, and they struggle to make anything even close to like a replicating looking <laughs> cell or organism. Yeah. And so it, you've got dozens of, of you know brilliant intellects trying trying to make life to show, look, we, we can do it without God. It's like, actually, no, you're, you're proving our case. It's taking yeah. dozens of you, lots of time, perfect conditions. And you're still really struggling. How do you think blind, <laughs> unguided nature is going to do it? Yeah. In, in a really hostile early earth right. environment. Where, where literally the conditions are what rip things apart, not build them. So we've talked about worldview questions, what every worldview needs to ask. We talked about how we want this to be a podcast that encourages the curiosity in science, that as a scientist, you can believe in God and don't let anyone bully you out of that belief, whether that's yep. in high school right now, or that's in college, or that's at a postdoc or a doctoral candidacy. We are advocating for a seat at the table for there to be a reasonable explanation for where all of this information has come from. And again, we're not promoting a God of the gaps because as Randy just said, it's not what we don't know that we're arguing, which is what the God of the gaps does. Well, we don't know. God, 
Yep. Right. That's a God of the gaps. We are arguing from, wait, there's information wherever there's information. There's an inform, there's an informant, right? There's a, wherever there's design, there's a designer. You don't just walk up onto a watch that's ticking in a field and say, Oh, look, earth created yep. a watch. No, you automatically assume there's a watchmaker, yep. right? Um, you open your phone, you pull out an app, there's an app maker, there's a code to it. When your app doesn't work, you look for an update, right? Why? Because there's maintenance that has to happen to your electronics. You're looking for someone with intelligence to update that, those applications, those things on your phone. And so uh, what we believe is we believe that there is a designer that has brought this information here. Why we believe that is because where did the information come from otherwise? And I think I would love for us to spend just a little bit of time here on why does that matter? Yeah, it, it, it matters because, well, two things. One, it's this is a tremendously powerful argument for God's existence. And yeah. and if, if, we're, if we're at all interested in following the evidence where it leads, which I think is like at the heart of the scientific discipline, we want to follow where it leads and not yes. do what Lewontin does and just needlessly or illegitimately, you know, prevent a divine foot from getting in the door. And secondly, I, I especially care for our, our young people, for expiring scientists, whether yeah. you're Christian or not. And if you're listening, you know, this is, don't let somebody tell you that you can't be a, a scientist and a Christian. Yeah. Um, you know, Psalm 19.1, Romans one twenty tells us that God's existence, his beauty, his splendor, his creation reflect his glory, his intellect and all, yeah. all those things. So it, um, the two are very much, uh, good good friends and, and yeah. exist very naturally together they're yeah. not at odds there's no conflict there it's just so much of so much i think of young people walking away from the faith or having doubts or having the faith knocked out of them is this is not understanding the, you know yeah. what's really going on maybe, maybe some of the biases of professors yeah we didn't really get into scientism but this idea yeah. that like science is the only way to get to truth and that's yeah. a probably deserving of its own podcast but yeah. it, uh, it it matters because it's these kinds of ideas are really shaping people's worldviews and your right. worldviews in so many ways going to shape that last question destiny right what happens after after we die so we we talk about these things because they're interesting and they're important and the bible i think um you know gives us reason to look to to god as not as a gap filler but as the ultimate um you know brilliant and beautiful cause behind all this amazing thing stuff that we see in nature and in, yeah. and in reality yeah so for any parents out there for any students out there take heart if you're a christian and you have had this struggle with the idea of uh, science and God, uh, we want to again promote the idea that this does not have to be a conflict. So um, uh, just be curious, continue to think, continue to move forward. Uh, and thank you guys so much for joining us. Randy, thank you for your expertise. Thank you for chatting My with pleasure. us. And yeah, thank thanks you. for doing all the research that you do, man. Thanks for everything. Happy to do it. Awesome, everyone. Like, subscribe, all the things. We'll see you guys later.